Ooh. Jasper, I really don't think that I can... <laughs> Hello. My name's Piano Teeth, and I'm... Jasper, Jasper, clean that up. Disgusting. Hello. As you can hear, I'm not doing too well. However, despite this, here I am, inside your head, because I know how much you need me. I'm so kind, aren't I? Even when I'm vulnerable. Jasper! Jasper, don't use the hoover, you stupid frog! You can't go around vacuuming when I'm inside this lovely person's head. Think! Okay, yes, I'm sorry that I called you a frog. Forget how sensitive you are. But can't you see how much I'm suffering? Just scrape it up, quietly. Use a spoon. Quickly, it's all on my feet. Ugh. Forgive me. This is not the start that I wanted, sat in my own vomit. But we soldier on. Ooh, that's it. There's a good toad, yes. Get it out from between my toes first. <laughs> now, to anyone listening for the first time, obviously go back to the beginning, the first episode, to understand what on earth is going on. But otherwise, my name is Piano Teeth, and I'm the voice inside your head. head, 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 head. I have no skin. At all. And so I spend the majority of my time in a bath, hydrating my skinless sinews and soaking my tissues. Normally, I drink quite a lot of bleach which flings me into a fantastical adventure which I then enjoy sharing with you. However, due to my current fragile state, we shall be departing from the usual proceedings. I'm not as young as I was, and the thought of having to stomach any more bleach just... Uh, my friend Captain Willyfingers came over last night with his latest batch of disco biscuits. It was meant to be a quiet one. Next thing I know, we're five bottles of Mr. Muscle down and still coming up with the sun listening to Nelson Mandela's bass-heavy hardcore mixtape. It's called Long Walk and Skank to Freedom. He's got Salman Rushdie and Carrie Fisher spitting some verse on it. Pretty good if you like wobbly breaks. Yes, the party went on until Captain Willyfingers remembered he was supposed to be in court, and so I was left, staring into the abyss. And it's not good. Believe me. There will be no story today, I'm afraid. I can't go through the bleach-soaked madness of my brain, cracking and thrown into a vortex of voices with a hangover. No, 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 no. But for the sake of your serenity, and because clearly you like having me here, I must do something. And so I thought I'd answer some of your questions. A Q&A, as it's known. Since I began coming in your ears and giving your life meaning, I've received an absolute glut of correspondence from people. Not from you, obviously, but, and don't be upset, you're not the only mind that I frequent. And I think little of you all equally. Now, these letters are a mixture of fan mail and desperate cries for help. There are some hate-filled accusations in there, but I ignore them and just accept that some people don't deserve oxygen. So, I'm going to answer a selection of these and then thought we could end the session with a guided meditation, sent to me by Tom Waits. It's very soothing. Right, let's begin. 
Oh, yes, of course, adverts. Oh, Jesus. Berg's belief that someone would want whatever this is to be an advertising vehicle, but here we are. Okay, what's this thing? Um, I'm not saying that. No, not today. Ugh, no, can't be bothered. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Yes, I'll paraphrase it and you'll, you'll get the idea. Okay, here we go. You have everything that you need. But ask yourself, have you? Of course not. We know that something is missing from your life and promise that this product will solve that problem. Not only will this thing make you truly happy, it will save you time and help you lose weight in the process. So hurry up and get it. And don't feel left out anymore. Buy the thing. There you go, that'll do. I'm aware I didn't say what the product was, but just sort of generally buy stuff and that'll keep capitalism happy. That's why we're here, isn't it? Merrily partaking in the spectacle. How are you getting on down there, Jasper? Well, what do you expect? Of course it's horrible. It's vomit. What are you... Oh, Jasper, no. No. Well, well now you've been sick on the sick. Should have used the bin. Empty it then. You're just... Oh, there you go again. You're just making more work for yourself. You were nearly done with my sick and now you've got to clean up your sick as well. Oh, Jasper, you clumsy toad. Get up off the floor. Well, of course you're going to slide around in the sick if you're in the sick. Get out of the sick and clean it up. No, no, clean this first, then wash yourself. Dirty toad. Look, Jasper, you're being rude now. I am here in this person's head and they want to listen to me. Not you, a toad rolling around in sick. Being entitled, might I add. You've embarrassed yourself. No, not another word. My apologies. Let's just, uh, let's move on, shall we? Okay, here's a question. Dear Piano Teeth, I like you. Good start. Why do you drink bleach? And should I also drink bleach? From Basil Grapeshot in Chorley. Well, Basil, yes, as is well documented, I do drink bleach. For two reasons. One, I have no skin. As a result, I am more susceptible to infections and viruses. Your skin is a barrier which protects you from bacteria. I don't have that luxury. But what I do have is a way of killing 99.9% .9 of bacteria in the form of bleach. I'm not going to rub it on my exposed muscle. That's mental. So I drink it. And it disinfects my insides, you know, it's, it's science. Would I recommend that you drink bleach, however? Hmm. It's tricky. Most people that I've suggested ingesting disinfectant to have died. One chap did actually go on to become the president of the United States, but he's not really anything to base it on. The second reason I drink it is, if you can get past the fact that it will most likely kill you, then there is a bonus side effect of getting completely and utterly out of your brain. Obviously, I welcome this oblivion with open arms as I spend most of my time in a bath talking to a toad. No offense, Jasper, but if you were me, you'd do the same thing. Carry on with the sick. Also, Basil, I don't know if you could take it. When I say my brain cracks, I mean my brain cracks. But then, if you really want to start going around drinking bleach because a voice inside your head tells you to, Maybe you should go and talk to someone. Right, next question. And this is from Mary Wallop in Coxsplash. Hello, Piano Teeth. First of all, can I just say how much I adore your voice trickling around inside my mind. 
I like to cover my naked body in butter and slide around the kitchen floor whilst I listen to you. It takes ages to clean, but worth it for the sensation. I was hoping you could indulge me. My other passion in life is rugby union, and I would really appreciate it if you could say the names of England's 2003 World Cup winning squad. As I slide around the floor, I will imagine each of them passing me round like a buttery ball, and that, along with your dulcet tones, would be an intensely pleasurable experience. Many thanks, Mary. Well, Mary, that certainly is a novel request. In the words of Dianford, I think you're freaky. And I like you a lot. Let me just get those names. Here we go. Whilst I read these out, I'm going to imagine you sliding around your kitchen floor, covered in butter, giggling away. Are you ready? Let's begin. Josh Lucy. Jason Robinson. Will Greenwood. Mike Tyndall. Ben Cohen, Johnny Wilkinson, Matt Dawson, Trevor Woodman, Steve Thompson, Phil Vickery, Martin Johnson, he is a big boy, Ben Kay, Richard Hill, Neil Back, Lawrence Delalio. I hope that you got everything that you needed. Look, Mary, I'm sorry to leave you all buttery and naked, but I have to move on. But thanks for that. That was a... That was a first for me. Oh, where am I? Where are my fags? Right then. Moving on. We have a lovely letter from a young lad called David Abeng, who's six years old and lives in Gusset. Dear Piano Teeth, hello, how are you? Well, in truth, I feel awful, David. Stayed up all night drinking bleach, trying to reach oblivion. Currently sat in my own sick, but other than that, all is well. Thanks for asking. I really like listening to your stories. I draw pictures to them, and Mummy puts them on the fridge. Oh, that is sweet. Here is a picture of you and Jasper. I drawed, that's what he wrote, it with crayons. Oh, yes. Yes, well, that is, that is certainly a picture. I'll, um, I'll try and describe it. There is what I'm guessing is a man, only he's formed from a collection of lines that make the shape of a human. There's a circle on top of these lines, and inside that is a cubist interpretation of a face with a mouth that exceeds the parameters of the circle. There are some thick black and white lines inside the mouth, and... There's an arrow pointing at the man, and it says, Piano. I'm guessing that's me. Next to that is a green smudge, which I assume is Jasper, with an anatomically incorrect erect penis and ball sack, drawn in a very angry red colour, bursting from the smudge. We are stood next to a house, which has no windows but a yellow door, and going across the page are streaks of brown, which I'm hoping is chocolate spread... No. No, no, it's poo. Yeah. Yeah, that's poo. Okay, thanks for that. David goes on to write, You're not my favourite thing in the world. All right, you little prick. 
My favorite thing in the world is dinosaurs. Fair enough. Fair enough. I like the T-Rex. Boring. I want to know how I could become a fossil like a dinosaur. Thanks, David Abeng. Well, thank you for the letter, David, and the pooey picture as well. Uh, to become a fossil, your best bet is to die and get buried quickly. You can't allow your remains to get eaten by scavengers. A natural disaster would be your friend here. Maybe you could find an active volcano and sit by it. Or some caves. They often get submerged. You could find some really dark caves and then just sit there and wait. Might work. Or go to some marshland near your house. Maybe a peat bog. Yes? Find a bog. Die. And get your parents to help bury you. Let me know how it goes. All right, David. Right, next question. We're firing through these. Dear Piano Teeth, I hope you're well. I always look forward to hearing your voice in my head. You seem like a well-traveled man. I want to go away on a trip and I can't think where to go. Where have you been that you would recommend? I want to go somewhere exciting, new and off the beaten path. Kind regards, Tabitha Hogflesh. Well, Tabitha, there is such a place that not many people have been. You can't get there by plane, boat or car. The land is called Ombagaluk and you get there by heading northwest by southeast until you come to nowhere. You must then keep the middle to your left and your left to your right. Head for the sunset, but keep away from the sunrise and always have the moon above you. And once you become thoroughly lost, you'll find yourself in Ombagaluk. I ended up there once, years ago, after popping out to get some milk. I knew it was because it told me so. The trees change color because of their mood. There's an angry forest red with rage, some jealous mangroves as green as I've ever seen. I even trudged through a lusty marsh that plunged in purples and pinks. I tried my best not to get stuck there, not for too long at least. I was once laying in a melancholy copse, wrapped in blue when I first heard the grass sing. It's not all the time, only when it's in a good mood and allows a melody to tickle and trickle its way through the blades, changing note with every step. The dithering sky can't make up its mind there. It has too much choice, you see. It jumps around from yellow to grey, a starry night is suddenly day, smudged out by the clouds with some blue. I saw daybreak, dusk and two thunderstorms, all in the space of an hour. And I only knew it was an hour because the clocks, being the wise things they are, had had enough of this indecisive sky, and so held a meeting, known as the Great Tick-Tock. They decided there and then on a time together, and it's been the same ever since. To keep it simple, it goes up to ten. When it reaches the top, it goes down again, and to find the time, you times by three and divide the whole thing by seven. The land is shaped like a donut, with the sea slap bang in the middle. No one knows how or why, but one day it just showed up. A small puddle of ocean that grew and grew until it stopped and now just sits there, happy as can be, waving at passers-by. The fish were relieved as it gave them somewhere to go. Before that, they had to live on the land, which is hard for a fish, as you can imagine. You'll see great shoals crossing the plains to line up by the water's edge, where fishermen use poles and lines to fling them as far as they can out into the deep. The people of Ombagaluk are called Ombagalukians. There are four separate regions called Om, Ba, Ga and Luke, hence the name. Om is very mountainous, Bar is covered in dense forest and grassy plains, Gar is dry and arid, and Luk is swampland. Each of the four regions has its own language, but they decided to make up another to talk to each other. This is called Ombagaluki, and by an amazing coincidence is English. They independently recreated the English language for themselves. They don't know that it's English, and if you speak English to them, they just think you're speaking Ombagaluki with a funny accent. They know nothing of other lands or the people in them. 
or they're just not that bothered. When you say you're from somewhere else, they nod and say, yes, everyone is. The capital city is called Gwendolyn, and is an absolute must if you're visiting. It's built on the back of a humongous ancient snail. The snail makes its way slowly round the land, and so every region has the capital for a few months at least. The snail can't remember when the city wasn't on its back, and the city can't remember when it wasn't on the back of a giant snail. Everything just is. Ombogaluk has experimented with various different ruling systems, monarchs, emperors, dictators. They've tried them all and didn't like any of them. The last monarch was Queen Barry, and he had such an awful time that one day he walked out. No one saw him again. There is a government, but no one is really sure what they do. A law gets passed, but then another law will come in which changes the law before the other law is even up and running. Everyone just nods their heads and carries on with what they were doing anyway. And it works. It's an illusion of change. Enough, anyway. They had a war. Once. There was a miscommunication between Orm and Luke, and they started fighting. Gar tried to break them apart, but ended up in the middle, getting hit by both, so got stuck in, and Bar, who hated being left out, declared war on all three. The war lasted for a hundred years, and is known as that really long, stupid war. Eventually they stopped, realizing how ridiculous it all was, and made amends by helping each other rebuild. They vowed never to fight ever again, and to make sure that everyone kept to their word, they buried enormous bombs deep in the ground below their regions, and gave the other regions the buttons to press to set them off. So if anyone started acting up, they'd be obliterated. And it works. Very peaceful place. Are you tempted to go? Yes. Yes, Ombogaluk, what a land. You know they believe that the world is held in the tentacle of a giant cosmic octopus called Tracy who sits in space which they regard as a vast ocean above them. They believe the sun and the moon to be Tracy's eyes, and the reason they move through the sky is because the cosmic octopus has other worlds on the ends of her tentacles. And to make sure they don't get bored looking at the same bit of sky, Tracy passes them from tentacle to tentacle all the way round, so they get a change of scenery. At night, when the great mother octopus wants to go to sleep, she'll squirt ink all about her to hide from any predators that might be lurking and try to eat them in their slumber. Oh, and the animals you'll come across, the Wobwib, the Flobbergob, and the Sabertooth Mouse, the Karnat, Haywoos, and Rumachuk chuk 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 There is so much to see, the Wailing Wood, the Big Thumb, Broken Hill, the Chalk Erection and Temple of Spaff, the Talking Houses of Go For Yourself, and the Invisible Men in the Crumbling Castle, and that's just off the top of my head. The only thing is, it's quite hard to plan your trip, as you don't know how long you'll be there for. Ombogaluk decides when it's time for you to leave, not you. Either it will get bored of you, or you'll disrespect it somehow. I farted in a forest, and it went from a tranquil turquoise into a ferocious red. And I don't know how it happened, but the next thing I knew, I was in Doncaster. And no one I asked had even heard of Ombogaluk. You are, Duke. Ombogaware, don't talk daft, and put kettle on, we'll have a proper brew, they'd say before downing their ale and plotting Yorkshire's independence from the UK. So there we are, Tabitha. If you fancy Ombogaluk, I'd recommend it. Yorkshire is obviously an option, and if you don't like the sound of either of those, then, I don't know, Thailand? Okay, next one. I'm quite enjoying these. This is from Barbara Streisand in Worth Matravers. Dear Piano Teeth, I hope this finds you well, you bleach-guzzling bath-dweller. I have enjoyed your presence in my mind for some time now and love the stories. However, I would love to know, why do you have no skin? Did you ever have skin? Did it fall off? What happened? I'm sure there's a story there. Kind regards, Barbara. Well, yes, I did once have skin. Fine skin it was too, and no, 
It didn't fall off. It was taken from me. I I'm not going to go into it now, but, um... Someone out there has my skin, and I'm going to get it back. One day. I will. Um, let's move on, shall we? A couple more of these, and then we can do the Tom Waits guided meditation. I think we all need it. Jasper, how are you getting on down there? All finished? Good toad. Could you please go and get that vinyl that Tom Waits sent me? Yes, the meditation one. Okay, this next question is from Genghis Temujan Narambata Zanadu. That's an incredible name. He writes, Dear Piano Teeth, I hope this finds you well. I love hearing your voice inside my head. It's great comfort to me, and I think of you as a wonderful friend. I wish to confide something in you. Not looking for advice, but I need to get something from off my chest. Something that had been weighing heavy on me for some time. Ten years ago, I moved to a small village by the sea, where I met and married my wife, who I'm still with today. Her family are very close and all live nearby, her sister being a very regular visitor. I embarked on a two-year affair with my sister-in-law. It was so exciting at the time, hiding from the rest of the family, taking secret trips, stealing kisses at gatherings. However, after my wife fell ill, we decided to break it off and swore to tell no one. But a month later, the sister-in-law contacted me to tell me that she was pregnant. Oh dear. And intended to keep the child. Shit. I begged her not to, but she was insistent, claiming that no one would know it was mine and it would be a secret. I now have a nephew that is also my son. That looks exactly like my other son, which I had with my actual wife. People point out that they could be brothers when they are seen together. To add to the stress, my sister-in-law let slip to her father that her child was mine, and when he found out, he threatened to reveal everything to my wife. I had no choice but to get rid of him. I arranged to meet him on a cliff near the village and then threw him from the top into the sea. His body still hasn't been found, and the family are understandably devastated. My father-in-law, you see, was a pillar of the community and ran various groups and charities that were of great benefit to all. His death has been felt by everyone. I have decided it is best that I continue as I am and live with this awful secret. If anyone were to find out, it would destroy the community, my family, and my children's lives. I'm continuing the good work originally carried out by my father-in-law and live the best life I possibly can. I know it won't fix it, but I hope in some way I can amend the damage I have inflicted. I have accepted that I will be harnessed by guilt until the end of my time, where I will have no choice but to meet my God and await judgment. I haven't told anyone about my awful behavior, and it has been good to share it with someone. Other than the dreadful secrets and guilt I carry with me, life is good, my boys are healthy, and I adore living by the sea. I hope you understand. Yours sincerely, Genghis Temujin Narambata Zanadu, from Little Petanwee, Fife. P.S. I must ask that if you do read this letter out, then please don't use my name. Oh dear. I live in a small fishing village in Scotland, and as the only Mongolian here, it would be too obvious who I am. Please refer to me as John instead. Uh, okay. I am sorry, uh, Genghis. Should have probably read through it first before reading it out. 
Well, I'm glad you got that off your chest and that you feel better. Um, good luck with it all. Sorry about that. Um, let's, let's do a meditation, shall we? This was sent to me by the musician and actor Tom Waits. Wait a minute. No, I'm... Genghis, I'm not sorry. You had a child with your sick wife's sister. And you killed someone. Don't bring me into it, you murderer. Honestly. Right, on to the meditation. Yes, this was sent to me by the musician and actor Tom Waits, who I once met propped up at the bar in the square and compass, sitting in a haze of cigarette smoke and melancholy, raising a toast to a time that never was whilst hitting a harp with a hammer. We got on like a house on fire. He said he'd send me some stuff, and sure enough, in the post, I received some vinyls. One of them was an unsettling liquid drum and bass meets vaudeville album, and the other was a guided meditations. I found it soothing, and I hope you do too. The record is ready to go, so the next voice you will hear will be Tom Waits. My name is Piano Teeth, and I've been the voice inside your head. Until next time, be well. Hello, my name is Tom Waits, and welcome to my guided meditations. To clarify, this will be a departure from a more regular meditation practice, and is instead more my meditations within the guise of a guided meditation. Using my method, what I want you to get from this is a different perspective of yourself and the world around you. It's not about becoming a new person or even a better person. It's about acknowledging the thoughts that you have racing around inside your head and observing them. Whatever is, just is. And although everything you can think of is true, it doesn't mean you should dwell on it. The more meaning we try to find in the meaninglessness of life, the more confusing it becomes. In that same respect, the more meaning you try to find in my words, the more meaningless they become. Don't listen and try to make sense. Just surrender to this meaningless meandering and take it for what it is. You'll learn far more this way. So, to begin, make sure that you're as comfortable as you possibly can be. If you can, sit down. Go on. Do it. Sit. Now that you're comfortable, let's just begin like all living things do, with breath. If you're not breathing, then you're not alive and have given up before we've even begun. So, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. That's it. Keep breathing in, keep breathing out. In, out, in, out. Now, on the next exhalation, I want you to shut your eyes. That's it. You should now be in darkness, with no external distraction of the material world to disrupt you. Leave it behind. Right now, there is only this, with each breath bringing limitless possibility. As you sit here in the darkness, and as you breathe, watch as a dog approaches. You're pulled closer together with every inhalation. The dog looks at you, head cocked to one side, tail wagging, happy to see you. It holds something in his mouth, looks like paper, rolled up parchment, and drops it in your hand. 
It's old, stained, and as you unroll it, you see letters carved in black ink on the page. They read, Druz, Ba, Si, Sit. You have no idea what this means, but the dog seems to think that you do and looks at you expectantly. You nod at the dog. The dog looks at you. You nod at the dog. The dog looks at you. You look at the dog. The dog nods at you, then opens his jaws and swallows you whole. A pair of arms pull you through and up onto the deck of a wooden ship. Rows of benches line the sides with a crew of skeletons set steadily pulling on the oars. There is a space for you, and you join them, grabbing a thick pole in your hands, pulling in, pushing out. Pulling in, pushing out. Pulling in, pushing out. Pulling in, pushing out. The skeleton crew chant in time with the strokes. Druz, ba, si, sit. Druz, ba, si, sit. The ship glides through the dog's mouth. Riding the tongue tide as the throat approaches, tonsils loom above you. Druz, ba, si, sit. Druz, ba, si, sit. Druz, ba, si, sit. Druz, ba, si, sit. The ship teeters on the edge, and the great expanse of the Trakir is revealed below. It rocks steadily back and forth, plunging down into the black hole of the throat. The air begins to rush around you as you feel the ship flip itself over. The back becomes the front and is now upside down, shedding itself of you and the skeleton crew who tumble into the darkness. Their bodies break off and fall apart. You're falling with a load of skulls and bones. One by one, they disappear until it's just you and your breath. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. You see a faint line of red light in the distance. It grows like dawn, prizing the darkness apart, and you fall into its gentle colors of gold, purples, and pinks that dance around you as you're carried through to the other side. You're staring into a fire, sat in a high-backed chair made of soft sand on a beach beneath a starry sky. As the waves come crashing in, they bring snatches of conversation, murmurs that get louder and louder before crashing on the shore and disappearing, just before they get interesting. A woman sits opposite you, naked, save for the clothes that she's wearing. Her face is lined and her hair an electric gray. She holds up x-rays of her heart to prove that she's alive. She won't believe that you believe her and insists that you kill her to prove it. You decline and point out the herd of rhinoceros charging towards you. The woman seems unconcerned, shrugs and says, Drizba, see sit, before she and everything else is swept up by the stampede and dragged off into the distance. All that's left is a tree, caught between winter and spring. It grows from a grand piano that plays all by itself. Practice, it says, when you ask it how. It hands you a note and gives you a key. The note reads, Druz, Ba, Si, Sit, and the letters begin to move around the page, arranging themselves in the shape of a house, roof, walls, windows, and door, which you unlock with the key. 
You begin walking down the hallway. The door at the end is slightly open with a slither of light creeping through. As you get closer, you hear the sound of a steady, wet tap, tap, tap coming from within. You open the door. It's a kitchen, and a man is stood with his back to you. He wears a long, dark coat with a battered black trilby hat. The man turns and you see that it's Tom Waits, stood slapping a gammon. He never takes his eyes off you as he steadily slaps the ham, a cigarette dancing on the corner of his mouth as he sings. Trespass, he said. 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 From behind him emerges the dog, head cocked to one side, looking at you. You nod at the dog. The dog looks at you. You nod at the dog. The dog looks at you. You look at Tom Waits. He slaps the gammon. You look at the dog. The dog nods, then leans in and says, This is absurd. Before burping in your face with such a force that it pushes you back through the doorway. You fall down the hallway and out of the door where the house falls apart and becomes words on a note which you give back to the piano who asks for the key. But then the herd of rhinoceros return, running backwards, dragging everything with them and you're thrown back into your soft sand high back chair opposite the x-ray woman, half hearing waves of chatter. Staring into the fire, which drags you back in and spits you out the other side, and you watch the sunrise set as the red light is swallowed by the darkness, which you shoot upwards. Bits of bone come together to form the skeleton crew, who pile back in the upturned ship that flips over so that it's right side up and front to back, where it races in reverse. Under the tonsils, over the tongue, the jaws open, and you're spat out into the darkness, where the dog takes the note from your hand and walks away. And the darkness disappears to be replaced with wherever you find yourself now. And as you get used to your surroundings, give yourself some time to reflect. If you feel confused after this, declaring it a meaningless waste of time that you will never engage with again, then you are correct. If, however, you have understood this and wish to declare it a meaningful waste of time, then you are correct. However you choose to conduct your own waste of time in the future, please remember to enjoy it. My name is Tom Waits, and I've briefly been the voice mumbling inside your head. Oh, God. God, I completely forgot how insane that man is. That made me feel worse, not better. Utter, utter, nonsensical drivel. The thing that people would want to listen to just ramblings. Beggars believe. Tom, if you're hearing this, darling, just get help. Yeah? Get help. Anyway, Jasper, run me a bath. Pour me some bleach. Yes, I know. I know what I said, but I've got a problem. I have, as ever, been piano teeth. The voice inside your head. Join me next time, where we'll actually have a story. I promise. Be well.